0: Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast.
1: This is Yolando and as always we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching.
0: So what is astonishing is that I can't even remember how to introduce this podcast after whatever. We had to stop times. and start. Um, and I think it is because I uh, we're doing vacation Bible school at The Grove this week, which is mostly outside because of coronavirus. So I have been outside, which is not my favorite place, but I am a good sport um, because I'm very excited to have a community of kids. Um, And I am just a person um, who has never outgrown Vacation Bible School. I really love this concept of basically like a pop-up Jesus school for a week where we get to create um, a culture and agenda that really reflects the kingdom as we understand it. And so just to invite people in no matter where they're from and get together and feed, um, you know, share meals and worship in a way that's really just loud and exciting and engaging and really play with the stories and then um, just make art and play games and make music. And um, we have a class called The Spirit Class where kids really just... Um, encounter the story of the day in different ways. And so we're doing that this week and it is hard. H A R D hard. hard. Um, we, the kids are ages three to 13. And then we have some um, older kids who are the shepherds. Um, so it is hard and it is um, so holy. It really is just beautiful to create a space where kids can, just be kids especially after this past year and that we have time um so we're not trying to rush kids through some preformed lesson that we've just got time to sit around and they can ask questions and wonder and we can if somebody walks in like at the start of today and was like pastor kate i can spell apple backwards and i'm like great prove it (laughs) like i mean just because we just have space to enjoy being in community with no other agenda than being together, which is something that, um, kids are just up for all the time. And with adults, it's harder when you get adults together, we're just hardwired to want to accomplish something. And, um, anyway, so it's really beautiful and hot and hard and holy. And I've just been, um, I'm, I'm so grateful for it. I'm so astonished that we get to do it. And really just this idea that, we get to share the stories of God with people is an amazing thing. And it is astonishing to me to think about it's such a little thing. And it's astonishing to me to think about how a seed might be planted in the heart of a child or a teen or a family, um, that could grow into something really life-changing, um, And this, these little seeds that are just, you know, resistance and defiant against all of the values and the messages of the larger culture. And so just to come together and do it, and it just so much smells like the kingdom because it looks like, you know, what are you doing wasting your time playing with kids? You know, like churches that matter, do it bigger, do it with older people, whatever. I I just, I am, would like to say again, I'm not saying it's easy, (laughs) it's very hard. but it's really holy and I'm astonished to get to be a part of it. Astonished for the people in this community who show up um, to, to make it happen. Um, And I just, I'm, I'm really grateful. So I didn't even let you ask me what's astonishing me. I just launched right in. So astonished (laughs) that you just launched right in. Yeah.
1: Well, um, I've got three things. I hope I can
0: go for it. um, We can all use more astonishment. I think
1: they're, they're all tied together. Um, One is that, I was looking at our um, analytics for this podcast, and I'm just so um, pleased and humbled and excited by the fact that over the past two weeks, we've had two people from Ghana follow this podcast, and so that just always makes me very happy. Um, I've never been to Ghana somehow. I just believe I'm that, that's where my ancestry is. And mm-hmm. so whenever something from Ghana pops up anywhere for me, it makes me happy. Um, I don't think there's a week that goes by that I don't watch some travel vlog on YouTube um, related to Ghana. And so, um, yeah, a lot of my heart is just there. And um, the other thing that's astonishing me is that my friend, uh, Jeannie, who lives in Nebraska, that I've known for almost... 30 years. Right,
0: because you went to seminary together. We went to seminary together, can you, together? Yes. can you tell the story about how you all met? Because I love it.
1: Well, we were, you know, when you go to Louisville Seminary, uh, the first class you take is uh, an intensive uh, Hebrew class. And, um, you know, it's it's maybe seven, eight weeks. And uh, you go every day, all day. And it was the first week. I think may, it may have been the second day, the first or second day. Uh, Jeannie sitting in front of me and uh, there, there's a, a break time and during the break she turns around and she says, hi, my name is Jeannie and we're going to be friends. <laughs> like, Okay, all right, and we became fabulous friends I and mean, my, my parents uh, tell me, said, one of the best things you did in seminary was to make friends with that Jeannie Bates. <laughs> well, my, my friend recently gifted me with an opportunity to uh, discover my ancestry on ancestry.com. So I'm gonna be exploring that and I'll find out if um, my ancestry is Ghanaian or not, but uh, I'm really excited to do that.
0: You know, not to, I know you have one more astonishing thing, which is, but I also don't know if we've ever mentioned on the podcast and I just feel like it deserves a shout out that my friend, Laura, Sent us Ghanaian chocolate. Yes, um, which is Thank just amazing. Fantastic. Laura Everett, who's actually the um, president of the uh, New England Council of Churches, the Massachusetts Council of Churches, and she heard our podcast and heard you talking about your love for Ghana and your love for the boldness of was it the president the of president. the mm-hmm. president of Ghana who went to Switzerland and was like, "Yeah, from now on, we'll make our own chocolate." Thanks, and yes. so she sent us um, this amazing. Um, package of Ghanaian chocolate. It's and
1: beautifully packaged and it tastes wonderful.
0: So it was just the coolest. It's so fun when we get these little signs that like people are actually listening to this because I swear, like, like this is just what we do. So it's what we do anyway. It's just now there's microphones in front of us, yeah. but like literally, so we're fine. I mean, I'm glad other people are listening, but <laughs> anyway. What's your third? Well, the
1: third thing is, um, and I know you didn't watch because we were just talking about this a moment ago, but um, I live for the opening ceremonies of the Olympic Games. I love the Parade of Nations, and every time I watch it, I cannot help, as these countries are coming into the stadium with their flags, um, you know, these athletes are celebrating just... You know, being present, uh, being together, um, I cannot help but think about those places in Scripture like uh, Isaiah's vision, when he has a vision of the nations streaming into Jerusalem, Uh, the book of Revelation where um, there are people from every tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Uh, That moment, uh, you know, that time when the athletes are are coming in nation by nation, just reminds me of that. And it's a very emotional event for me. Um, And the fact that anyone doesn't watch it and see the same thing. Listen,
0: I think the Olympics would be so cool if there wasn't so much sports. (laughs) So, like, if there was a way to do the Olympics about, like, I don't know – storytelling or or I I don't know like food like an Olympics of food I'd be down with that like I just I love the concept of the Olympics like the whole world coming together celebrating one another and you know mutuality interdependence creating something amazing together it's just the sports stuff that I'm like yeah anyway but that's a lot of astonishment in one in one week for yeah, you. So I'm glad
1: it's all related to you know when I'm when I'm watching uh, the opening ceremonies, I, I just see this beautiful mass of humanity, and for me, it's just very moving.
0: Well, all I follow in the Olympics are the scandals, and I would just like to point out that I am mad, I am salty, I am angry that. Um, Shakari Richardson, I'm saying her name right, mm-hmm. correctly, okay, Shakari Richardson was banned from the Olympics because of marijuana in her system, which she consumed at a t- place in time where it was totally legal for her to have it, and it is not a performance-enhancing drug, but it's the rules, and the rules are the rules, and nobody can break the rules, whatever, but the entire country of Russia is supposed to be under an Olympic ban for four years, and all the Russian am- athletes are there with their flags, in their uniforms competing earning medals and the quote ban is they are called the ROC the Russian Olympic Committee yeah. instead of Russia which nobody is even following and i'm just saying that like it is it is maddening that when it comes to an individual and like not so coincidentally, a person of color, we're like, no, rules are rules, you have to respect the rules. But when it is a whole nation of people who were blatantly cheating with performance-enhancing drugs, that oh, it doesn't I I don't know what happened. What happened to rules are rules, right? It's just out the window. And so it makes me very angry. I'm mad about that. I'm mad about the Norwegian handball team who who are told that they couldn't play. What is clearly beach volleyball, but that's another story in shorts, it has to be a bikini bottoms. I am mad that like somehow it's not okay for a gymnast to p- compete in unitards. It has to be leotard.'s like I just, this is this is my thing. Like you're caught up in the humanity, and I'm just saying, like, well, humanity brought a lot of injustice with it to Japan, and I'm. Well, angry it just about
1: points it. out the reality that this is not the kingdom. No, it is not. As as as, as way much as some, too much sports for this much to much as be the kingdom. As some things may remind me of, you know, the beauty of scripture, this is not the kingdom. Um, yes,
0: I'm just oh. saying, like, it's great. I like. I'm glad if people glad- like the Olympics. I'm glad that you like it. I won't yuck in your yum but it just doesn't do it for me. The Olympics and nature, everybody's like, rah, rah, eh, I don't care. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, I really it's so, been a long day, and I've spent a lot of the day in the sun, not complaining, but my filters might be a little down. Um,
1: I love it. <laughs> no, I, I know you it. do. <laughs> so let me think if I can ask some provocative question. No, I'll, I'll, let I'll, it be. I'll, I'll, I'll sit on it for a while.
0: What are you thinking about?
1: Well, I'm thinking about, um, and you and I haven't talked about this very much. I think I've mentioned it here and there. But uh, the, over the past couple of days, I've been thinking more and more about what's called the manosphere. Are you familiar with that term?
0: No. The nanosphere? Uh, no,
1: man, M-A-N, manosphere.
0: Okay, no, not at all.
1: Um, it is a collection of websites, blogs, social media, uh, sometimes in-person convention, conventions around... Um, manhood Mm -hmm. it's a um, uh, kind of confederation of men who um, are looking for father figures some men who are advocating for um, men's rights as it relates to you know parental issues Uh, some men who are survivors of domestic violence Uh, some men who um, are divorced and disoriented in terms of how to be in a relationship with a woman, uh, some men who are trying to navigate uh, relationships in our day and uh, it seems that it is really devolved into um, flat out misogyny I mean are there some legitimate, issues and yearnings and questions, I would say yes. But just as um, some of the legitimate pain, the real pain, I should say, that um, some white people feel in our day, but want to turn that um, uh, in a way that blames people of color, there is a growing number of men so our problem is women, and so we have to be alpha males, uber males. Um, there's, uh, have you seen the movie um, The Matrix?
0: No, but I've read a lot of sermons about it. Uh,
1: so uh, central to the Matrix is this idea of a red pill and a, a blue movie. pill, right? right. And so they talk about, you know, red pill manhood. If you take the red pill and have your eyes open to what it means to be a real man, an alpha male, <coughs> um, then that's 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 their direction. If you take the blue pill, it means you are listening to feminists. It means you are any anyone that does not agree with them is a blue pill person. And. Uh, For a while, the the big name, uh, probably the biggest name uh, in this uh, uh, community, I'll call it, uh, is Jordan Peterson. Uh, Now there's something called the Black Manosphere, uh, and the big name is probably Kevin Samuels. There are others. And what's what's, um, often very deceptive on the surface is that these are not... You know, big muscle tattooed men trying to be alpha male, that kind of stereotype. These are, uh, if you look at them, they're they're dressed in finely tailored suits. They are um, they old school, we would call them the gentlemen. they're and they're usually older men, but behind their tailored suits, I'm telling you, it's just, Hatred for women and and what they're teaching a generation of young men is that, okay, you've got to make a woman feel less than in order to be in order to have her follow you. And it reminds me uh, about ten years ago, I was sitting in a Starbucks, our university Starbucks that
0: mm-hmm. we go
1: to sometimes, and um, I was just sitting there doing some work, and I overheard a conversation between two university students. And this young man, his girlfriend, just broke up with him, and he was distraught. He was really upset. And his friend's advice was, listen, next time, you have got to be stronger. You've got to put her in her place. You've got to be, Mm -hmm. you cannot be nice. You, You cannot be nice to women. Your problem is that you're just too nice. And I listened to this. It went on and on and on. And eventually, his friend left. And so he was just sitting there. And Please tell
0: me you talked to this young oh, man. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely.
1: He was thanks. just sitting there looking at her pictures. And, oh. um, and I turned to him and I said, you know what your friend said was a bunch of crap. And he said, huh? And so we, we, had, we started this conversation And I mean, and poor guy, just a wounded soul, not just about his girlfriend, but about many other things. And so many of the men, when they're interviewed, who get caught up in this movement will say, I was going through a divorce. I lost my child. I lost my job. I... I realized that there is a hole in my heart because I've never known my father or the father that I had was physically present, but emotionally unavailable. And so there's a real pain, a real pain that men have. Um, but the solution that the manosphere is offering is all wrong. They are telling men that, you know, this is that that we have gotten out of God's order.
0: The patriarchy. the patriarchy. The answer patriarchy. is we yes. need to double down on the patriarchy.
1: One man introduced himself to a audience of men. He said, I am the patriarch of my family. Right, As if to say, listen, if you mm-hmm. want to be like me, you've got to think of yourself as the alpha dominant man in your family. Um, and it is a disturbing movement. Even the Southern Poverty Law Center has said, We need to keep an eye on this because what white supremacy is to white people, the manosphere is to men in this country. And it's mostly this country and Britain.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that we've talked about this a little bit before, just personally, that um, what is long overdue and beginning to happen right now that feels very uncomfortable but I think actually is healthy is that people are starting to voice the deep pain and brokenness in uh, between white people and black people in this nation, right? Like the, the deep pain and trauma that white people have inflicted on people of color through white supremacy in this country, people are daring to tell the truth about that and to say that what happened to me is not okay. What's happening now is not okay. They are pushing back against the lie that well, if you just comply and behave and wear khakis, nothing bad will happen to you. People are saying like this system is destroying everyone. I'm not. It's not okay. They're not saying, I'm a victim. They're saying, I, am, I refuse to co-sign as if this was the only way it could be, right? And that is a very uncomfortable for lots of people, both people of color and white people. And, and kind of what people often say is, "Oh, I wish we could just all be united again, right? And, and a lot of times what that means is I, I was more comfortable when people were talking about it. So I don't need it to change. I just need everyone to go back to not talking about it, right? Um, and what what and the reality is, every problem can't be solved, but no problems are solved spontaneously without facing them and talking about them. Right. So what I what I've said before, and I I feel a little bit of hesitation about saying this because I'm not trying to take any energy away from the conversation about um, racial reconciliation, um, but I do think that and it was funny a, f- a friend of mine who is a black man was saying the same thing i do think that we have not even scratched the surface on the patriarchy in this country like um we think that because women have achieved some roles of prominence in some places that that that's it that that's no longer a functional system in our country and and we we haven't even begun to look at it and i think much in the same way that and again, this is where I now find Kendi's stuff really helpful, it's not a matter of good people and bad people, right? It is a system that is shaping everybody's view of reality. So there are men and women who are both deeply supportive of the idea of the patriarchy and deeply um, rejecting of the idea of the patriarchy, and still all of us are shaped by this system which is which is ancient right and and what you see in the gospels and in scripture i think is god and jesus and the holy spirit continually subverting and undermining and challenging um, that idea that there's one big man on top and then everybody else, it's a hierarchy and everybody else just gets in line right. from most important to least important. And the idea is know your any, place, right? Know your place and anybody who's under you, you get to kick around and anybody who's over you, you need to suck up and hope they don't kick around and kick you around. And it's all just a matter of like using your power, to try to push other people down further and climb up faster. And, and what, I mean, and one thing that I think is really helpful about the doctrine of the Trinity is it's just God bearing witness to the fact that God doesn't do hierarchies. Um, God doesn't do patriarchy, that God exists in community, unity in Trinity. We have a sweet little visitor. Um, so anyway, I, I, what I think is interesting about all of this is just our gender roles, in this country are so toxic they're just so toxic and I think a lot of times what people name and rightly so are the ways that women's um opportunities are limited by those toxic roles gender roles but but men the gender roles for men are just so toxic as well so that men don't know what to do with pain. And when they're feeling pain and somebody says to them like, well, if you'd just been tougher, you wouldn't be hurting now. And so a lot of men try to go through life, just numbing their pain either by not being in emotionally intimate relationships with anyone, be it a friend, a spouse, or children, to just try to control people uh, rather than love and be loved by them, which requires vulnerability. So men just try to numb pain by avoiding relationships, by controlling in relationships, or literally by working or using or, you know, extreme, you know, sexual addictions or porn. I mean, all of that, those are all ways that men and women do this too, are just trying to Numb pain instead of taking a really hard and scary look at what hurts, why does it hurt? what part of this? you know, how might I be able to grow and change into a way to to write a new story in my relationship? Or also the reality is relationships, even the very best ones, ultimately cause us pain because we don't get one another for forever on this side of eternity, right? So we just don't know what to do with our pain. And that makes us so susceptible to liars who come around and say, if you would just be tougher, be stronger, be richer, be fitter, be thinner, be prettier, you wouldn't hurt. And the reality is it's not true. And a lot of people completely isolate themselves to try to avoid pain. And that just creates a different kind of pain because we need each other. So I just, um, I, I think that, I think about this a lot about how men, for all of the ways that the patriarchy harms women, one thing that women are permitted to do in the patriarchy is um, develop emotional relationships with people. And so for all of the um, real injustice and discrimination and danger that women have to deal with, we are encouraged to connect. And those connections, those relationships, Um, provide a lot of life and health, even in the midst of a lot of, you know, really uh, unjust and harmful systems. And men get the benefit of being, quote, on top of these systems, but they're told, you know, friendships are for sissies, and don't talk about your feelings, Mm -hmm. and if you're in pain, somebody hurt you, so go hurt them back, right? Mm -hmm. So, So men are denied... Um, the truth about what it means to be human, which is you—you you need to con- you need to have people, right? And Jesus, who is our example for what it looks like to be human, right? How God created us to be human. Jesus was not trying to like lead a movement. He was not trying to become king. Like the way he lived out his humanity was pouring into a small group of people
1: and being vulnerable and
0: being vulnerable. I mean, you know, to the point of death on the yeah. cross. Mm-hmm. And then what we see in the story is that vulnerability that God shows up in vulnerable places and brings brings resurrection life. Like, that's our story. So I I really, but I'm with you. Like, I really, um, I feel for young men in particular, um, in general, I mean, I think that white men, white young men and black young men get weaponized in different ways in this mm-hmm. broken system. But But what happens is, people don't know how how to be fully human. We do not teach men how to be fully human. And um, then it destroys them. Yeah,
1: when I'm with couples and I'm doing premarital counseling, the thing that is filled with the most controversy is when I get to the place where I start talking about how roles are negotiated and your marriage is a negotiation and it's a constant. You, you, will, you will find a place and then you'll go down the road a piece and then you'll have to renegotiate and that is okay. And when I talk about mutual submission, I mean, I, I, I can just feel the energy change. They perk up and go, wait, we have not heard this. Mm-hmm. We've heard that one person is the boss and the other person is the subordinate Mainly the man is the boss and so um what are you talking about?
0: Right. And that's the biblical model for marriage is mutual submission, which is just which is just mutual vulnerability, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And so that that model is so it's so countercultural. And that is def- if you talk to someone in those in those spaces about mutual submission, they will say that's the definition of the blue pill, which is fine, but it's still the gospel. And all of these people who want to reclaim biblical marriage, I'm like, well, first of all, biblical marriage was one man and five women. And second of all, biblical marriage in the New Testament is mutual submission. Yes. Like that that is the heart of what that and looks what
1: like. young men are being told is that if you walk, live in a place of vulnerability, if you are open in terms of healthy feelings and healthy intimacy, then women will not want you, that they're going to want the alpha male which in reality is a distortion. Well, (laughs) I mean, I
0: would say it's a distortion. And also, unfortunately, as we were talking before about these systems affecting everyone, Mm -hmm. it is true that women, as before they grow into maturity, will often say, oh, well, the person who treats me the worst, if I can get that person to love me, then I'm really finally worthy of love. So, I mean, it's not outside of the realm of someone's experience that, Mm -hmm. yes, women too are taught you need to be chosen by the most aggressive and strongest and unloving person, and that makes you worthy of love. And and so it is true that a lot of women will walk past the young man or the man of any age who treats them with consideration and respect, because there's that that self-hatred. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I think-
1: Well, I, it just shows that patriarchy is as complex and, um, Uh, evil as white supremacy. Correct,
0: and and on the same thing that a lot of people, the same lie that people try to use to justify white supremacy to say, like, well, people of different races are ontologically different, and everyone is just happier when they're in their sphere, and it's unnatural for people to be out of this ranked system. I mean, you'll hear people say the same thing about men and women, Mm -hmm. that you'll hear people say, like, well, women actually like it better when they have the right kind of man in authority over them. And you will often see women equated to children, right? Like yes. children need someone in authority over them that makes them feel safe, whatever. And and you will hear people say in all seriousness like women want the same thing. And and you know, the grain of truth in that is do women want a strong partner? For sure. But a strong partner is not equated with someone who pushes another person down or yes. sees them as less than. And and the sad thing is that, you know, strong men want who are not threatened by strong women. Yes,
1: and, and, correct.
0: You know, and I hesitate to use that language because it's sort of like modestest, hottest language. Like I'm not trying to shame people for being weak, but I do think that the men who often walk around and position themselves as being the strongest and the way they express that is by trying to control um, women or, or others. You know, That's just not an expression of real strength. And again, I would say exhibit A is Jesus, who obviously... Is God incarnate, and so for us is our it's our concept of power uh, of ultimate power, and that ultimate power was not expressed in controlling or doing violence or punishing, but rather coming down and dwelling among and absorbing evil instead of causing evil and and speaking truth. Um, so,
1: yeah, I, I I I'm embarrassed that I don't remember her name, but there's um, a feminist writer, and. Um, she's been writing about the 21st century economy. She says the 21st century economy doesn't depend upon people being the biggest, the baddest, the strongest, but on being flexible, on being um, uh, able to connect in relationships. And she says there there are women who are going to thrive and are thriving in this new economy. And men are suffering because we've been given another set of values, another way mm-hmm. to be in the world, and we are having a hard time adjusting to a new reality. But unfortunately, what uh, what many men are getting is, well, then, it's it's women's fault. It's We've gotta blame feminism for it, and that's not it at all.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I do just think that one thing we all need to watch out for is there are people who are um, advocating for hierarchy, whether it be racial or gender mm-hmm. or whatever, and often one of the cards they play is, oh, well, this, this these are biblical models. Right. And that's just a lie. But from the very beginning, people saw the power that was within the gospel of Jesus Christ and then blasphemed the witness of Jesus to to take that power and say, this is what Jesus wants, even when it is in stark contrast to how, how Jesus actually
1: lived. Yeah, even the, that story of um, uh, Mary and Martha with Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching. I mean, that was, you know, the role of men to sit at the teacher's feet and, you know, be mm-hmm. a student. Um, and just that kind of uh, biblical story is one that we kind of gloss over and miss mm-hmm. the real uh, uh, subversive power,
0: or the idea that if an apostle is one who was sent with the news of the resurrection, then the first apostle yes. is Mary Magdalene, and that's something that people who want to uh, try to twist the revelation of the gospel into the form of the patriarchy just don't they don't know. They say like, well, that doesn't count, right? Like, right. even though,
1: or um, you know, when Paul sent a letter, the person who arrives at the uh, city, the new city, with the letter from Paul, they are tasked with explaining to the church what Paul meant in particular places. And if it's true that Phoebe was the one Mm -hmm. who delivered the letter uh, to Rome, then she would be the one standing before the church, receiving the questions and saying, okay, here's what Paul meant when he said this, this, and this. And what was she doing? She was teaching. She was, was preaching. preaching.
0: Right. And I, I mean, I think it just goes back to the vision in Joel of the spirit being poured out and young men and women will prophesy. Sons and daughters. And sons and daughters will mm-hmm. prophesy. And and there was a great story that I was told in seminary about. There's this woman who the women's center in our seminary, Boston University, was named after her, Anna Carter Florence. And I went to a Methodist seminary, so she was a Methodist. Um, but they would tell the story about how when she was in um, Hebrew class, they were studying that passage and and the verb, which I don't know off the top of my head, and maybe they were looking at it in the Septuagint, but the but the verb that was translated prophesy was also the same word for preach, and so they were they were translating it as prophesy, and she raised her hand and was like, well, wait, what it, what do you mean? This says your young men and women will preach, and they were saying, well, it doesn't mean that here, and she's like, yeah, because you are choosing to shade the meaning to preserve the hierarchy as it exists. And I think what we don't, and what we need to do a better job of Mm. as preachers is not to, you know, I don't ever want anyone to feel like you, you can't because you get the full sense of the gospel. You don't need to speak Greek or Hebrew, but sometimes you do need um, someone to show you the ways that people have tried to tame the revelation of scripture and make it more palatable um, and, and, and more, just more seamless with the world as it is with the kingdom of God. And, and that's just not, um, that's not faithful interpretation. And we need to do a better job of saying, like, hey, I get that the people on the TV screens and the people on the megachurches say it means this. And I'm just telling you they're not bad, but they are wrong. <laughs> and and, that needs to, and that, we need to do that more boldly.
1: So what are you thinking about?
0: Uh, Well, actually, I just um, heard the other day, I just started seeing a lot of stories um, about a man named Bob Moses, who actually died, I think, two days ago. Um, And I really didn't know much about him, but a lot of um, people that I... Read and follow. We're talking about him and his influence, and so I'm I'm learning about him. Um, but he was um, a, a one of the key leaders in the civil rights movement, and then continued working his whole life as a thought leader in the movement for racial justice and um, reconciliation in this country. And um, so I've just been learning more about him. And and the one thing I I just want to name in that is for me this is just another example of the ways that you know I really only studied American history in you know through 12th grade and then after that I was studying biology and music in college and then theology in grad school and so everything I know about American history I, I either got taught in school or I've kind of picked up along the way happenstance and so a lot of really important people I just don't know about because that was not the version of the story that I was given or these names were not considered as important as uh, other names that were sort of the standard curriculum. And so Bob Moses is somebody that I didn't know about and I've been reading more about him just as I see key um, leaders, key leaders in the justice movement now lifting up his name and warning his passing. And so um, I, I just... Um was reading about him, and one thing that an article I was reading in The Nation was talking about, um, th- the guy told a story about how he got into the work, how he met Bob Moses um, at, a, at, a, at a gathering and then came up afterwards in the 60s and said, can I be a part of it? And after that, he was um, working for Bob Moses during the Freedom Summer in Jackson, Mississippi, and he says, in telling this personal anecdote, I violate what Bob Moses taught us, not didactically, but by his example. The first person singular pronoun is a dangerous thing and should be used sparingly by those who seek to break the deafening silence of the subordinated. So I just thought that was such an interesting concept. Um, and, And as preachers, like we talk about this a lot, like one of the big shifts that I'm trying to make in my own life and trying to help my church make is that as americans we're we're such an individualistic society mm-hmm. but the witness of scripture through and through is community 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 and that you know we we become alive in christ not alone in a silo but we become alive in christ in the context of life in a community as hard and as frustrating as that is and as much as we really the American myth myth is just leave me alone and get out of my way and don't, 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 as long as you don't do an injustice towards me, I'm better off on my own. And just the witness of scripture from Genesis to Revelation is that's just not true. Um, And it's not that we don't have personal relationships with Jesus. We do, but that we have them in the context of a community. And, you know, we've talked a lot as a preacher about sort of the tension between, on the one hand, when you're preaching telling a story about yourself can be a really effective tool, especially if it's a story where you look like a tool where you're just sort of saying, Hey, I, you know, I've been there or, you know, this is a place where God met me in my weakness or in my brokenness or in my sin. I mean, that's a helpful, a helpful thing that it's a subversive thing and that this is not a hierarchy. I'm not, you know, better or above. That is not how the kingdom works. Um, So those personal stories can be helpful, but also, just this idea that when we make that shift, if we're really helping people understand how the kingdom comes, the kingdom comes through communities and so we need to make that shift from the singular to the plural, right? Instead of telling all these I stories, to really tell we stories and this is who we are and inviting people into that. And I just thought that was interesting and it and it makes sense when you're talking about a someone who's trying to do obviously community organizing or political work is to say we need to make a shift from an understanding of like, I'm trying to figure out what's best for me to what's best for me is what is best for we. And making that shift um, is really is really important. And I, And I was just caught by that story, and um am at the very beginning of my um interest in discovering more about, Um, Bob Moses and they were talking about like a part, a lot of his legacy was reworking um, gender roles as well, Mm. which is interesting given what we've been talking about. So I don't, I can't speak to that only that I knew that, that this man was um, an important and influential human who has, whose life has shaped my life. And because of the systems that I believe are breaking down um, did not know that, and I'm curious to, to find out more. So that's what I'm thinking about.
1: Wow. Um, I don't know that name. While you were talking, I just Googled um, his image. I was like, oh, I know the face. I just mm-hmm. didn't recognize the name. Mm-hmm. And he's one of those many, many people that have worked long and hard in the struggle uh, whose names we don't, you know, um, speak often enough. But um, yeah, they're there um, doing the work.
0: And I suppose like even that, this idea that, okay, it's America. So what we want to do is pick one name and say like the movement was King and King was the movement and good thing he came along because without him, right. And the reality is it was a movement of communities. And so there's so many people whose contributions were just as essential. And we've told the story in the way that we expected it to be told Mm -hmm. instead of, you know, there's one savior, it was Jesus, all of the rest of us our supporting cast, We're the Chorus. (laughs) Um,
1: I I was so happy to see over the weekend a commercial on PBS. They're gonna re-air the documentary Eyes on the Prize. Mm -hmm. And um, in the um, 90s, I think I made a point of watching it every year, I mean, at least once a year. And uh, one of the beautiful things that you'll see uh, is that it wasn't just King mm-hmm. it wasn't just a few well-known people that there really were a lot of people on the ground doing a lot of hard work from um, domestic workers to students to preachers I mean it was really
0: because um, it was a kingdom movement and yeah. that's how the kingdom comes yeah. and when we tell the story wrong we really Um, wound our own communities because Mm -hmm. we teach people that like oh well I'm nothing special so therefore it doesn't matter if I show up and I'm not the one that everything is depending upon and what the witness of reality is we are all the ones upon whom everything is depending upon and none of us has to carry more than we can bear right and I, I just think that that's a really Important thing that that should be the message that we're witnessing to the culture is that you don't have to be anybody's superhero, but whether or not and how you show up matters. And that's so countercultural. yeah,
1: on Sunday, I was preaching, and I told one of those preacher stories that made the preacher look like the hero. And I was very, you know self-conscious about that. Uh, and so what I did was I followed that story with stories about people in the room mm-hmm. that also put them in the same light. Right, and I just, and I, I pointed people out. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I, I felt um, this energy in the room. This is, oh, this is us. We, by God's grace, by God's Spirit, we do this. It's not just, you know. Preacher types, but we get to do this mm-hmm. as a community.
0: Mm-hmm. And I mean that's just the truth of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we were talking about with the kids today is we were singing a song and the first verse was about the Good Samaritan. And then the second verse, I was like, Well, who is the second verse about? And it was it and it's simple. That's the brilliance of it. It was something like when you see a friend looking down, you know, what are you gonna do? And I was like, Well, who is the second verse about? If the first verse is about the Good Samaritan, who is the second verse about? And people are like, I don't is it the Virgin Mary? Is that I mean like people are <laughs> like no friends like this is about you right the the first movement is the revelation of god but the second movement is the story goes on and the story doesn't only go on you know like in on jeff bezos's rocket ship right like the story where god is alive and work is in the places that you know the culture will overlook or label inconsequential but that is where the kingdom comes so anyway what are you preaching about this week
1: well, it's Tuesday, and I'm not really sure. <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> i'm I'm thinking about, you know we're we're in this great shift uh, at Derida Church, and part of the shift is around uh, the worship culture. And um, for the past couple of weeks, uh, we've just had an environment in which, you know the Holy Spirit has been welcomed. and it's not about, style or song selection or anything like that. It really is, um, it's kind of an, an, an attitude, um, and it's an, a, posture. a posture, that's good. Yes. That's, um, a, a better word. Um, and so I'm thinking about, um, a, a Psalm that we reference quite a bit, but, um, I don't think, um, you know, like, I don't mean, think about when I've ever preached it, but um, Psalm 150, um, mm-hmm. especially that line, "Let everything that has breath praise, praise the Lord. Lord." Like this is this is central to who we are, and so many of the people that I'm privileged to pastor grew up in a context in which the church said to them, taught them, that worship was about entering into a room, sitting down, and observing what was happening from On the platform. The, yeah yeah and we are changing that, shifting that model to, no, this this is about us. <laughs> there's that um, mm-hmm. um, friend. and
0: worship is something that we create together,
1: yes, by and the by the spirit,
0: yes. right. And I, I think that because a huge shift that I, I think even people who are because it's not about level of expressiveness either, right? Like that's a visible. And so it's easy to sort of say, like, well, people are doing it right if they're sitting quietly or reverently or no people are doing it right if they're lifting their hands and saying hallelujah. It's not about external expressiveness. What it is about is that posture that too often however you behave in worship, we are tricked by the enemy of our souls to show up for worship with like, like a critic like we show up to sort of watch and see like is oh that good? was good that part was bad or that what I don't disagree with that or I do agree with that and you know we we come to to decide if it's good and then if it's good we will open to receive what's there and we need to come to co-create and that is not just people who have roles on the platform that is everyone who is gathered in the room coming with a posture of, A, I'm, I am here to praise God, and I am here to receive whatever the Spirit of God might reveal to me in this moment. Um, and, and that's nothing that, you know, you can't tell what posture someone is in based on how they, based on anything external right? So people can be sitting there with the biggest smile on their faces and keeping track of every single thing that another person does wrong or a big scowl and really be praying and fervently for everyone around them in the room. It's just a heart shift posture of, am I coming to critique? Am I coming to consume? Or am I coming in vulnerability and and humility trusting that God will be faithful in the ways that God says that God is faithful during worship and am I coming because I believe God when God says that our praise pleases God? Yes. And, and again, that praise does not have to be audible to the people around you in the room. Because goodness knows we all know that someone can be audibly praising God and in their hearts. You know, it's just, it's, it is a, it's an internal shift, but it makes, I mean, it makes such a huge difference. Um, I mean, it doesn't change who God is, but it does change everyone's ability to experience.
1: And that's a good word for us uh, because I'm thinking a lot about encounter, right? We're, we're, like, we're taking... I'm
0: sorry, I need to pause because my child is being dropped off, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Yes. Attend to your child. Okay, we're back. So, Kate, what are you preaching?
0: So, we are starting a new sermon series in this month of August called The Mind of Christ, and we're looking at parables. And the idea is that Jesus told these stories to people who thought they already knew about God, about the kingdom, about salvation, about love, about power, and he told these stories to show the mind of Christ, which is the mind of God, so that people could learn, could unlearn and and renew their minds in Christ. So we're looking at um, different parables. And this Sunday, I think I'm gonna do the parable of the Good Samaritan, and I'm gonna do it because uh, in our Vacation Bible School, the theme is God's Neighborhood. And um, so the second story that we told was about the Good Samaritan, really who is my neighbor, and using the Good Samaritan to answer that question, as Jesus obviously did. Um, And I was telling you beforehand, one of the reasons that I think it's really not easy but good to be as a person who preaches in the sanctuary to spend time with children and engaging biblical stories with children is because they tend to ask better questions. They get real. They do. Um, And I think there are just certain questions that adults won't ask because they generally are showing up for church because they are trying to, you know, they're on a spiritual journey. And so they just have this idea of like not wanting to ask the wrong question or, or wanting their question to, um, you know, I don't know. I guess I don't think as communities we always make it safe to ask real questions. And I be think vulnerable. that's a
1: great way to put it.
0: Um, and kids, kids won't do that. Kids will ask whatever is on their hearts and whatever is on their minds. They don't so. care
1: if the question stumps you or embarrasses you. They have a question. No, and they really want to know, right? And they really want to know. And I
0: think kids also, um, wrongly, most of them have this innate assumption that we really have the answer, right? So I think a lot of times people have a question and they won't ask us because they're kind and they're like, I don't believe that this is an answerable question or I don't want to put this teacher or preacher on the spot and kids, you know, they just expect us to know the answer. And so they'll ask real questions. And there's a young man who's here with us this week. His name is Kayil. And we were teaching about the good Samaritan. And then we were talking about how, you know, showing mercy um, to those around us. That's how we um, love our neighbor as ourselves. And that that's how the kingdom come, which which I think is a real um, accurate, um, you know, interpretation of scripture, right? And and Kyle just raised his hand and he's like, why doesn't God just do it himself? Right? And like why Great like question. why do I have to love my neighbors? Like why that's you know really like that's inefficient. Like if God is God, just just fix it just already. Fix it. Just do it. Just make the kingdom come. And of course if it's an adult you can do that move and say like, well, that's what God did do on the cross. But you can't say that to a kid, Mm -hmm. because the kid will be like, I'm looking around and I'm seeing, you know.
1: It doesn't look fixed to me.
0: Right, right. So a kid is not even saying that the cross doesn't mean anything, but they're just saying, you can't fob me off with Mm -hmm. this idea that the pain that's happening right now is somehow solved by the cross because obviously it isn't it's happening right now and you and a kid's not going to believe it when you try to sort of d- make pretty theological talk as if that pain's not real or doesn't matter like a kid won't let you get away That's with great. that kind of sophisticated lying and so um i think that is where i'm going to start um, the sermon on Sunday is with his question and fantastic. Um, just lifting up just what a great question it is and what an uncomfortable question it is. And one of our guiding principles, um, I, I think, and we haven't officially ratified it is, but that like we practice healthy spiritual discomfort. And so a lot of times when we have a question that, you know, breaches the edges of our understanding, we just kind of bury that question instead of leaning into it and letting God Expand our settled and comfortable faith. So, and we were talking on the walk and and about that, and you were saying like, "Oh, that's a great question where you should start your sermon." And I'm like, "Yeah," and then you said, "But the problem is, you're going to have to have a, a gospel satisfying answer." And yes. I'm like, "Yeah, that that would be the challenge," <laughs> um, and, which is what I said to Kyle. Is like, "Look, I don't I don't have a good answer to you as to why, because from I'm with you from my perspective, it just seems like." you know, Lord, I mean, that's where you join in the prayer of even so Lord Jesus quickly come, like just yeah. like wrap it up already because this is, this is so much pain for folks. Um, but I do think that whether or not I understand it or agree with it, this is how the kingdom comes, right? Jesus is clearly saying, this is how the kingdom comes. So I think we can agree with it or disagree with it, or we can go looking for another God who promises to bring salvation in a different way. But our God says this is how the kingdom comes.
1: And because you're preaching on the mind of Christ, right. I mean, you're reminded now that, oh yes, God's ways are not my ways. Mm-hmm. God's thoughts are not my thoughts.
0: And that's the witness of scripture And I'm not saying, God and
1: I God doesn't do it my way.
0: Trust in the Lord and what? Lean Lean not not on your own understanding. And I think a lot of times when Jesus sets a path out before us, sets an example for us, gives us a story that we can understand, we, we have to trust God and walk out that story. And the temptation is to say, like, well, I don't like that story. Something else makes sense to me. But the witness of Scripture is trust in the Lord, not your understanding. So that's... I don't know, Good. wish me luck. <laughs> no,
1: I think it's going to be a great sermon.
0: Well, if it is, it will be from Cahill, right? Like yes. the, those are, that. That's just precious.
1: And again, I think because you've taken this familiar parable, okay, there will be the, the temptation in the room to say, okay, we, we know what this is, right? We know this story. But then when you introduce his question, I think you have everyone's attention, and they're waiting, okay, how? will this not get untied?
0: Right, and I think that this is writ large the reason why the community is a multi-generational community because it's not like kids are just um, blank pages that we write on, right? The reality is there's just mutual learning and interdependency that is happening all the time, and we don't need kids to pass down our great wisdom. We, We need... New folks and people at the beginning of their spiritual journey, because they ask true questions and they're not satisfied with pretty traditions. They they're really seeking the Lord, yeah. and and we need that kind of um, just urgency, holy urgency and hunger in our communities. So anyway. I think that's it. I think we we've hit the end for today. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more about what God is doing in at the community at Derrida Presbyterian Church, you can check out their website at www.deritapres.org. It's D E R I T A P-R-E-S dot org, you can check out the uh, back catalog of Yolando's messages at the Podbean website for the Dorita Church. And you can also join them for worship on their Facebook page at 10 o'clock on Sundays. But and check this
1: week starting 10 30, we're changing the time. Oh, check snap. us out.
0: And the YouTube channel, yes. um, which has a lot of great, great, great content, the Dorita Church YouTube channel in Charlotte, North Carolina. And if you want to find out more about what God is doing in community, here at the grove you can go to our website which is the you can follow us on social media you can listen to messages at our um, podcast the grove church podcast which is at itunes or wherever you get wherever. your podcasts wherever you get them um, you can check out our youtube channel because we're playing with that these days and you can worship with us in person at 10 or um, on our live stream on our Facebook page as well. So thank you all so much for listening, and we will talk to you next week.